You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Although everyone was invited to this event in the parable of Matthew 22, the event itself, remember, it required a certain attire. And a just future, it requires a certain something too. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 342, and our title is What a Just Future Requires. In Matthew's gospel, we read this story in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers, burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes? And then the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. The stories in Matthew's gospel were intended to teach their audience something about the just future, the vision of a just human community that this gospel bases on the teachings of Jesus. This story progresses, too, in a specific order. First, the king invites guests to his son's wedding. And remember, these guests would have been those whose social standing warranted such an invitation. Their invitation would not have been universal, but for those who belong to a a society shaped by exceptionalism and privilege. And I also can't overlook the patriarchal character of this story about a king feasting for his son and a social structure that includes both slaves and a master. Despite what's problematic, though, in this story, is there some kernel of truth in it that may still speak to us in our contemporary context and our own justice work today? Let's see this week. When those first invited refuse their invitation, the king's invitation becomes much more inclusive. Everyone is now invited. It says, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. 
and we have to ask, did everyone get invited? The story assumes yes. Jesus makes sure to add the bad as well as the good. This invitation is generously and extravagantly inclusive, but the story doesn't remain so. But it goes on to say, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. I used to interpret this parable differently than I do today. I used to see this parable as a ollie ollie oxen free and a, a story where everyone gets let in penalty free. But when we read this parable from the perspective of those oppressed and subjugated or pushed to the margins of society, there are certain things that begin to stand out. First, this is a mixed group from a lower class of society. Uh, this is different than those that would have normally been invited as guests to a royal wedding. And that class included divisions among themselves as well. In a class of society, the lower class is not a monolith. And Michelle Alexander explains this when she describes the history of, of Bacon's rebellion. It, it, it failed, the rebellion failed because social elites created racial divisions among the lower classes to prevent them <clears throat> from threatening the economic structure that privileged those at the top. This is what she writes. Nathaniel Bacon was a white property owner in Jamestown, Virginia, who managed to unite slaves, indentured servants, and poor whites in a revolutionary effort to overthrow the planter elite. Although slaves clearly occupied the lowest position in the social hierarchy and suffered the most under the plantation system, the condition of indentured whites was barely better, and the majority of free whites lived in extreme poverty. The events in Jamestown, and she's talking about the failed Bacon's Rebellion, were alarming to the planter elite who were deeply fearful of the multiracial alliance of bond workers and slaves. Word of Bacon's rebellion spread far and wide and several more uprisings of a similar type followed. In an effort to protect their superior status and economic position, the planters shifted their strategy for maintaining dominance. Fearful that such measures might not be sufficient to protect their interests, the planter class took an additional precautionary step, a step that would later come to be known as a racial bribe. Deliberately and strategically, the planter class extended special privileges to poor whites in an effort to drive a wedge between them and black slaves. White settlers were allowed greater access to Native American lands, white servants were allowed to police slaves through slave patrols and militias, and barriers were created so that free labor would not be placed in competition competition with slave labor. These measures effectively eliminated the risk of future alliances between black slaves and poor whites. Poor whites suddenly had a direct personal stake in the existence of a race-based system of slavery. Their own plight had not improved by much, but at least they were not slaves. Once the planter elite split the labor force, poor whites responded to the logic of their situation and sought ways to expand their racially privileged position. That's uh, the new Jim Crow 
page 24 and 25. Throughout U.S. history, the elites have repeatedly fanned the flames of racially charged bigotry to divide the lower class. During Reconstruction, after the Civil War, they did it again, and that led to the era of Jim Crow. This is from the same book, 10 pages later, page 34 and 35. Just as the white elite had successfully driven a wedge between poor whites and blacks following Bacon's rebellion by creating the institution of black slavery, another racial caste system, was emerging nearly two centuries later, in part due to efforts by the white elites to decimate a multiracial alliance of poor people. By the turn of the 20th century, every state in the South had laws on the books that disenfranchised blacks and discriminated against them in virtually every sphere of life, lending sanction to a racial ostracism that extended to schools, churches, housing, jobs, restrooms, hotels, restaurants, hospitals, orphanages, prisons, funeral homes, morgues, and cemeteries. Politicians competed with each other by proposing and passing even more stringent, oppressive, and downright ridiculous legislation, such as laws specifically prohibiting blacks and whites from playing chess together. The public schools, uh, 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 oh, sorry, the public symbols and political spectrum, though the plight of the poor whites remained largely unchanged, for them, the racial bribe was primarily psychological. Right now, in the United States, we're witnessing a new set of racial bribes being offered to the lower class white population in exchange for November election results. And this brings us all the way back. In Matthew's story, remember the king invited everyone, but his own social location stopped him from recognizing that that not everyone invited would have had the means to procure the proper attire. This was the, 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 the group that was now attending the wedding feast were from a much lower sector or section of society. Their social location was much lower than those who were originally invited, and especially the king himself. And 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 I used to 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 blame the guest who wasn't properly dressed, but but I no longer blame him in, in this story. Maybe he didn't have anything to wear other than what he had on his back. And nonetheless, the king still throws him out, and the story only gives one explanation. Many are invited and only few are chosen. So what could this mean for us? Well, everyone is invited to a future that is just. But not everyone will be chosen to be part of it. Wedding hosts require certain attire and a future that is just, a future that is equitable, a a, a future without racism or sexism or homophobia or heterosexism, a, a future that is safe also has its requirements. It requires no one exclude others based on their class or sex or gender identity or race or or, or sexual orientation or gender expression. Everyone is invited to take a seat at that kind of a table, yet not everyone is welcome at that table. And let me explain what I mean by that. 
If someone refuses to let go of their bigotry, to reject their prejudice and fear of someone simply because they're different, their death grip on death-dealing values, that naturally excludes them from a future that is life-giving for everyone. And unlike the parable where some could perhaps not afford the attire that the event required, any of us can choose to let go of our phobias and bigotry. We have the power to reject the divisive programming that we have been taught and to embrace the interconnected reality we are already living in. I'm thinking this week of those who who see in the U.S. government a savior for their white privilege, yet they deny justice to, to those excluded or even killed under the dog whistle of law and order politics. And, and that leads me to our final point. The parable states that our story ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want to give you a list of passages here. Gnashing of teeth, it's not torture as the, as the hellfire preachers teach. It's just anger. It means that you're so angry, you grind your teeth together. We find this in Luke 13, 28, Job 16, 9, Psalm Psalms 35, 16, Psalms 37, 12, Psalms 1, 12, 10, Lamentations 2, 16, and in the New Testament, Acts 7, 54, uh, Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 13, 42, Matthew 13, 50, Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 24, 51, and Matthew 25, 30. It's anger, and it's specifically in this story. It's anger that someone you thought should be excluded is actually included. Remember, this is now a wedding feast that's being attended by uh, those of the lower class. But even within that lower class, wedges have been driven by the elite. It's anger that for all your smug assurance that your own place at the table was secure, you find yourself outside in the dark looking in through the window at those that you feel are inferior to you. They're enjoying the feast and and, and you're not. The, the gnashing of teeth in the story is the inability to accept the king's invitation to, to, to you on the one hand because you cannot accept another's invitation on the other. It, it's a refusal to participate because someone else is also invited. Someone that you feel should be excluded was not merely invited, but they're now enjoying the party instead of you, and you're out in the darkness gnashing your teeth. Although everyone was invited to this event in the parable of Matthew 22, the event itself, remember, it required certain attire. And a just future, it requires a certain something too. The inclusive, just, equitable passion for making our world safe for everyone, the desire to make sure that we all thrive together. Without that, we won't be welcome at the table. The table invites us, but the table has an inc- a requirement. If any of us are, are left out of that just future, it'll be because we couldn't stomach the lack of distinction between ourselves and our fellow guests, that, that, that the distinctions that typically characterize us as somehow superior. And it won't be because we failed to accept the invitation for ourselves. It'll be that we can't accept the inclusion 
of someone else that we think shouldn't be there. Heart group application this week. Again, we at Renewed Heart Ministries, we're continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Stay virtually connected during this time, but 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 do it virtually. Practice that physical distancing that, that keeps us safe. And when you do go out, remember to keep a six-foot distance between you and others. Wear a mask. Continue to wash your hands as we seek to stop the spread of the current virus. This is also a time, remember, where we can practice the resource sharing and the mutual aid found in the gospel stories. Make sure that others in your group have what they need and make sure you use this time to prioritize protecting those in your group that are are the most vulnerable. So number one this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast with your heart group. Number two, a safe, just, inclusive, compassionate future is possible and it will require something from each of us. What requirements stand out to you from your own experience uh, of inequity and discuss your experiences with your group? And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.